Anthony Kaminska, it's safe to say that your interview went down quite well with people. So uh, Ben asked if you'd come back to us with some specific questions set by people on Twitter, and you very kindly agreed. So um, if you're happy to crack on, we'll just plow through. So we've got three pages worth here. Oh, very good. Sounds good. We're probably over-egging the pudding, but we'll have a go. Yeah, all good. Okay, right. This is, no, just give the first name. This is from Michael on Twitter. What is the best way to grind up a smallish betting bank, low stakes and large volumes with a small ROI, or better waiting for a bigger mistake and be more aggressive? Uh, well, my approach was to wait for a bigger mistake and be very aggressive. Um, I had, it wouldn't have been that many years ago, my bank was pretty small. Um, and yeah, I used to just wait for big mistakes uh, that I could capitalise on and just have. I know it's, we've just passed safer gambling week or whatever, but like my approach was to just go pretty much all in on as big a mistake as I could. And if I lost, know that not all in as in gamble my rent money, but like all in as in gamble my gambling balance and uh, just try and spin it up that way. I think as you get bigger, you can't go all in for a start, nor, nor would you want to. Um, but I think as you get bigger, what you tend to do is you try and get larger volume on smaller edges because that's basically one of the one of the one of the few options open to you to get in to getting good volume on is just to is to bet football teams at even money that you think are going to go off nineteen to twenty sort of thing. Like um, so, I think as you get bigger, that that is an approach. But if I was starting off with a thousand pound. Um, and I was on £2,000 a month as my wage, I'd be waiting and waiting and waiting and having 800 quid a grand on something that was five to one that I made, two to one sort of thing. And doing that and going back to zero is not much of a hardship. I have to work another two weeks to get my grand back. Um, but that's the way I'd approach it, just to try and... You don't mind going broke when you don't have much because because you're used to being broke, aren't you? Like You're used to not having much money, so... That's that's the, that that'd be my approach to that. Okay, this is from John. Given the lack of proper traders these days, no offense to any traders out there, if you were started out today, would you still follow the path you did working for a bookie, or would you go about things differently? Yeah, I think when I see the interviews with like professional gamblers, and I've seen a few podcasts in the states, and where they interview like the old time guys that would have come up through the seventies and eighties, and everyone says, ev everyone to a penny says. Um, I wouldn't encourage my kids to get into it. Um, well, it's gone now. Like I'd, I'd encourage my kids to go to school and do something different. Whereas I'm slightly different to that. Like I think it's, uh, I think gambling teaches you to critically think. Um, if you end up being okay, I, I think you can you can separate. There's loads of advantages to it, not just money. It's like um, signal from signal and noise, separating separating different things, and just being being able to critically think about things and being able to change your opinion based on evidence and should we all know about just general stuff politics like one thing about rejoining twitter recently is my fucking timeline is populated with everyone who's got a covid theory and what what government should do and stuff like that and i'm just like i got a d in gcse science like nobody wants to hear my opinion on covid <laughs> leave it to somebody else um, so like I think it teaches you to critically think and separate from where you're where you're good at and where you where you're not so good at. And uh yeah, I'd 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 recommend I'd recommend getting into gambling and if you get if you get good at it, it'll have other advantages for you as well. Okay, this is from Frankie Strummer. 
what percentage edge are you looking for compared to your own prices before back in a selection? Does this change from sport to sport or even league to league? <laughs> yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think that's a good question. Um, I'd just be just trying to price stuff. I, it's, I think it all depends on the individual market. Um, there'd be stuff on in football, say like a football anti-post market, for example. If there was something I was betting the other day at two to one, I was making it about seven to five. So that's a decent edge. I have to wait seven months for it. Um, but which I don't mind doing, like tying up a very small amount of my bankroll to to be on stuff like that. Um, but like I think, I think it all depends on the time the bet settles. So from when you're placing a bet, I think you don't mind smaller edges if you're going to get your money back in a day or two. Um, I think you want bigger edges for the longer time it takes for a market to settle. So I'm happy to bet so if the, if there's a big mistake and it's settles in seven months well i'm going to take it but if there's a small mistake and it settles in seven months i'm going to leave it and i'm going to find a small mistake that settles in two days and that allows me just to keep compounding my bankroll um a lot quicker a lot more efficiently i don't want a small edge that's going to be tied up for a long time so i think a lot of it depends on when when the market settles okay this is from tommy two fingers do you have a max odds that you will bet on to avoid big variant swings no um i have a i'll probably have a max percent on my bankroll that i'll put on big odds Um, again it depends on how big you think the mistake is if there's a thousand to one shot you make 10 to one and it's not a pulp um like i'd probably be having a decent bet but not decent in respect to my bankroll i have to i have to work at what the fair odds are or what i think the correct price is and then i have to manage my bankroll correctly i wouldn't say i'm not going to bet a thousand to one shot I will bet 1,000 to one shots. I bet 750 to one shots, 1,000 to one shots the odd time on Betfair in golf, for example. Um, but it will be a small percentage of my bankroll, quite a small percentage of my bankroll, even if I make it, if I make a 1,000 to one shot in golf, 350 to one. Um, I'll have a bet on it, but it'll be a small part of my bankroll, basically. I'm, I'm repeating myself there, but like... Um, yeah, that's what I'd be thinking. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to restrict yourself. Like all these people that have the rules, I don't bet odds on and stuff like that. Well, today's Monday. If you offer me tens on tomorrow is going to be Tuesday, I'm probably going to take it. Um, so why wouldn't you bet odds on? Like, I, I don't get rules around price. It's just about finding mistakes and betting appropriately. Okay, this is from Shane. If you see a total or handicap wrong line is way off, will you still bet it? even though the price may be heavily bookmaker margin? Uh, Shane looks like he's just looking at lines there and seeing, just comparing between bookmakers and then betting somebody who may be a bookmaker who hasn't moved the price. My problem with that is I don't know what the true price is. I'm just trying to look at events and find out what the true price is. So I, So for me, it doesn't matter how much margin a bookmaker takes in a market because I know my 100% prices. And I'm betting accordingly. I can bet into 150% markets, 160% markets, if I think there's a mistake. And to know that there's a mistake, I have to be able to price the event myself. So I wouldn't be too concerned about how much margin a bookmaker's taking, but I would be concerned about pricing markets myself and getting accurate prices. And that's why I base my bets off, basically. Okay, now Brian. Brian says he has an edge on something. Odds are steady around tips on 10 to 11. 
what stake should he play consistently to reap a reward but not get banned by the betting operator? He's on his fourth account in the last 18 months and he's running out of family members to use. Yeah, I think that's a that's a big problem, isn't it, um, Brian? Yeah, I wish I was on my fourth account in 18 months, so it's all, it's all relative, isn't it? Um, I think if you're going to be betting mistakes that have an SP, so they have a closing line, like if you're finding a 10 to 11 shot in like something a bookmaker generates themselves, like maybe a, a player to be yellow carded or something like that, and it's returning 10 to 11 in their system, I think you're going to be able to have a lot more longevity. Whereas I think if you're betting a horse at 10 to 11 and it starts at four to seven, I think you, whatever way you toss it around, you're going to have trouble getting on after after quite a short period of time. So I think it depends whether the bookmaker is returning their own price and, and how close to the off you can bet so it doesn't move that return price. But I think if you're just smashing up an SP, are you being way ahead of the closing line in a sport? Whatever way you look at it, with the soft bookies or your odds checker bookies, you're gonna struggle. Whatever way you do it, and you can you can try and normalise the account a little bit more by throwing in a, a bit of rubbish as well that doesn't really beat the price, but is relatively neutral EV, and to try and disguise your big plus EV bets. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you just it's a matter of time, I think, and and then a lot of it becomes about being able to get get more than four accounts basically. Okay, this is from Gareth. I he just one. I just wondered if Anthony is or has been involved in betting on rugby union and rugby league over the years. Uh, yeah, used to bet handicap. Used to do a bit of weather, not so much anymore, to be honest with you. Um, weather related stuff in rugby, like unders when it's bad weather, blah blah blah, and then just try and predict weather. I was paying a lad. I was paying a meteorologist at one stage, about two grand a month. To, to give me accurate weather forecasts, basically. And that was to do with rugby, it was to do with cricket. Uh, don't do that anymore. I thought I thought his value in the end became pretty negligible and I thought I could do roughly myself just using the weather apps and there wasn't much difference uh, to justify his two grand a month, basically. Um, rugby league, yeah, I think, I think I don't mind saying this now because it's pretty much dead anyway, but like one of the edges we had in rugby would have been sloping pitches. So Batley Bulldogs in the English Championship have a pitch that, that is like that. And you used to be able to, there was an edge in finding out which way they were attacking in the first half. And then you were doing, you could play your handicaps, first half handicaps, half-time, full-times, based on who was basically playing downhill, basically. Um, a similar team to that would have been in Rugby Union. They're not in the, I think they're in the Championship in Rugby Union as well. Uh, Bedford Blues have a pitch that's like that as well. So that would have been, another edge I was looking at their match recently because I've not looked at it for a little while I actually looked Bedford were at home the other day and I couldn't even find match betting on it so I don't even I don't mind shaving that one now because that looks dead um but yeah like just be looking for anything any kind of edge that's just not properly factored in basically okay Chris would like to know how you come up with stake sizes is it the bigger the projected edge the bigger the bet uh yeah pretty much bigger the bigger the edge the bigger the bet definitely but the bigger the, when i say the bigger the bet not so much stake it's more to do with how much what percent of my bankroll at the time i'm willing to put on it um a uh, stake size i'm not a big kelly man i don't like kelly and kelly criterion and, and staking my bets that way i find that kelly just by definition you need to know your edge to the exact percent 
for it to be efficient and to work. And I, the stuff I do, I probably don't know. I, I make, I make a price ballpark, but I might not know my exact percentages. So if I'm messing around with Kelly, it takes a lot of time just to optimize a Kelly strategy. I'm relatively, it's just dead time basically. And I just basically just, I do a little bit more feel and just what I feel is the right size bet. And I think a lot of it also depends on what you're going to get on at the price as well. I might want 20 grand on something. And if I can get four grand on it, I want to get four grand. And then where does it affect my next bet? If I'm trying to do some kind of Kelly thing, it's just, I just, just go what I can get on what edges I can get and just try and manage it in my head rather than managing it on an Excel sheet or something. Okay. This will be the last one for this section. Doug Campbell. Given how difficult it appears to be for racing punters, 100 plus quid, in particular to get on in the shops, do you consider the high street industry to be A, dead and buried, B, on life support, but with a chance of recovery, or C, alive and vibrant, or is he talking garbage? Uh, Doug Campbell, I remember Doug from uh, Twitter back in the day. He's a, he's a nice fella. Um, yeah, uh, racing, but I think racing, you're just struggling fucking from the get-go really to be honest with you i think if you're taking any kind of price before 1 p.m or midday these days in winter like i know from myself when paddy power when i worked at paddy power paddy power used to pull prices they used to try and pull prices at four o'clock the day before and i know hills still do it even sometimes two days before when when uh, when decks are out i know paddy power didn't used to they didn't used to break even on horse racing early price bets as a, as a collective until about 11 a.m. on the day of the race. So if you're all these, all these tipsters and all these people that say they bet overnight and they bet in the mornings before 11 o'clock, they're all saying, oh, I'm plus this ROI. Great, well done, but you can't scale it. It's pretty much impossible to scale it. So what's the point? Um, you're going to nick a couple of quid. You're going to get your accounts closed and... You're going to be mourning about getting your account shut. The key is finding your edges after 11 o'clock to try and scale it, I think. Um, so that would be my opinion on that. Just re regarding the high, sh I think everyone beats the price before 11 o'clock. Like it's a, you could do it with your eyes closed. It's not, there's no scale in it. But I think back to Doug's question, the high street, like <laughs> betting shops are really hit and miss, I find. Like, I think Betfred are pretty good in the UK just for, generally tolerating people and the offers they have and stuff like that. I think they're okay. Hills have gone from being really good to moderate. Labbrooks and Coral don't don't want to be disparaging about anyone. Coral, I just don't even know how anyone can get a bet on with Coral in a shop or online. It's it's very tough. And they're probably delighted with that. They'd be probably high-fiving each other to say that you can't get a bet on with them online or in shops. But I think there's an opportunity cost there as well. You stop me placing a bet. And you're also going to piss off a lot of good customers who go to your rivals as well. And I think that they can probably look at numbers and say, listen, we're, uh, we, we've not many people have beat the price for those. Or we've not laid that many bad bets. But I think the, I think the, uh, I think the survivorship bias of that is you probably don't see the good customers that you turn away from your shops as well. Um, so yeah, the, the high street is, I think it's good in certain spots, but there's some firms that just probably don't do it that well. And maybe they're happy with that as well. I don't know. Okay, Anthony, part two. Uh, this is what I'm really interested in. And I always ask the professional punters, and it, nobody seems better really explain it. But W <laughs> says, can you, learn, can you learn how to price a market or sport without working in the industry? And if so, 
how would you go about starting? What my starting point would be now, if I didn't work in the industry, is to try and find out who who's winning money and just try and tag along with them and just try and learn from them. I think it's it's really difficult to give an answer to that question on in two minutes and try and make it interesting and make it snappy. And I think I think you just learn from being around smart people, like I said to the last time to you. Like I think you just pick stuff up, nuances of what they can see that you probably can't put down onto paper, really. It's a, it's a tough one. Like when, I'm, when I used to look at horses, for example, horse races, and even greyhounds as well, what I used to do was just try and look for mispriced favourites, just basically because if I can find a mispriced favourite, I know that it's going to be taking up too much margin in the book one way or another, and then there's some margin left to play with where there has to be something else overpriced at a bigger price so i used to i used to focus on favorites and just try and this is when i was starting off i used to focus on favorites and just try and work out if i could see if the, if there's a six to four shot that should be five to two well that's going to give me an angle into the race because there's something has to be overpriced into into a hundred percent book or 105 percent book or something like that um i think there's all different ways you can cut it to be honest with you just different sports different things matter my, my advice would be, and it's, a, it's probably a crap answer, but my advice would be just to try and really tr try and... Everyone wants to project that they're winning money these days. You just go on Twitter, everyone's winning money. Come and follow me, I'm winning money, blah, blah, blah. I think you just need to... A big, big skill is just actually working out who has edges and then who has edges that are scalable and then just try and fucking learn off them is what I'd be doing. And I'm still trying to do it now. I'm still trying to learn off people. I'd love to meet people that... Are, if I'm here and the pecking order, I want to meet people who are here that know more than me about certain things. And the only way you're going to learn it is by either offering them something or if you get someone nice enough to, to that lets you see them and tail them. Or if you can, if you can put on bets for someone who's smarter than you and stuff like that, every, no, no, all the smart guys struggle to get bets on to a degree. Um, if you can get bets on for someone who's smarter than you, and you know for a fact that they're smart and they're going to pay you if they get beat, etc. You can just see the bets that go through the accounts and just try and learn off them. Why has he bet that at that price? Why has he done this? And you can just try and work it out yourself, basically. But there's not many people who are going to spoon feed it to you, to be honest with you, which I think a few people seem to have wanted from my first couple of videos with you. Like uh, the, the, the goose that lays the golden egg is not for sale and you know whatever that phrase is like it's uh you've got to you've got to have a bit of cop on and learn it yourself as well and just try and pick things up off people i think okay this is from tom weeks uh as a percentage how much of your bets get put on through shops yeah that's a good question i don't know <laughs> what would i guess um i 20% maybe, 20% maybe, but I actually don't know. I don't record it. I deal with the runners and settle up with them, but I just don't, I don't, I don't separate the two. Basically, it's just all one, one big, one big mash of numbers, basically, at the end of the week. Okay. Gareth Owen would like to know, are most of your bets or, stra or strategies long-term bets for the seasonal competition, or is it more the constant weekly bets? Uh, both. I think there's bigger edges in the long-term stuff. For example, football. Football, I know there's some people on Twitter and that, Nick Goff and a few of the other people from from previously. 
would probably bet football anti-post stuff. And I've seen a few people on my timeline since who bet football anti-post. Um, it's probably getting more efficient this year. I've had loads of anti-post bets this year as usual, but I probably haven't had as many as I have in previous years. So it's probably getting slightly more efficient. There's less bookies price in certain markets. Uh, everyone seems to be running a mile from the championship relegation market and League Two relegation because of football finances <laughs> and things like that. Um, but I think you can factor that in. <laughs> Just go on the AFL website and find out who's got conditions against them or who's being investigated and factor it into your price. It shouldn't be that hard to put a price on, on a market. Um, but yeah, I think there's bigger edges in the long-term stuff. It's probably big edges week to week in football. Just depends on how early you want to play in the week. So if you want, if your bet's 200 quid and there's a game on Saturday and you can get a price on after the Tuesday night matches finish, fine. You're going you're gonna to have a big edge on some stuff, but it comes back to that scale thing again. If you want to have 200 quid and move a price, good luck. I would probably want to bet at quarter past two and have a, a bit more than 200 quid on. So um, I'm just looking for edges that are in more liquid markets, I think. Okay, Tommy, two fingers. Uh, when pricing up a market, we know you take into account form, race course, jockey, etc. but how do you add these things up to arrive at the odds? Do you add weights to them? Like for every win, they get a plus one. For a fall, they get a minus one. Just in pr general pricing. You don't want your secrets, just in general. No, I, I wouldn't do that, to be honest with you, no. Um, jockey is an interesting variable that, I think I've, I've heard from different people. It seems to be quite divisive how, from smart people, how many people factor in the jockey and how many don't. Like it's, it seems to be the one where people are a little bit more. I think it's a big, I think personally, I think it's a big variable, but it's probably hard to quantify or harder to quantify. Uh, I probably feel a little bit of a fraud giving you answers on horse racing because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be the most adept. I'm okay at horse racing. It's not my strongest sport. Uh, I love it. I, I've, I don't watch it as much as I used to, but I, I think I understand it and I follow it. Um, but there's probably better people to ask those questions about horse racing to me. Just the system he described, uh, add one, minus one. No, I don't do any of that. wouldn't do any of that. I don't know anyone who does that. Um, for me, it all depends on like, like ground. Be the, the ground is the most important thing just in general. And then you're just trying to work out when I'd be doing the videos for the horse racing, I'd be just trying to work out which horse, just your basic things, which horse maybe was given a, an easy enough ride or your subjective stuff with, and then more objective stuff like which horse went for a run, didn't find a gap and stu stuff like that. Um, where things went wrong or the pace of a race just wasn't run to suit and things like that. Um, and I'm basically just looking for something about the race that's coming up that may have been concealed either on purpose or by accident in in previous form lines, basically, where I can justify that a price is too big, basically, based on based on what I can see. And that's just tends to be just tends to be it in general. Okay. Now I wasn't gonna I'll give you any anonymous ones, but this one I suppose people want to know it. Um I gotta excuse my ignorance. I don't know what the second one stands for. What is your ROI, return on investment, and ROC, I don't know what that is per year. Uh, ROI, I probably don't know it exactly. I'd guess about 6%, but I don't know. Um, I, I don't know how much it is exactly. I'm going to guess about 6 or 7%. Some sports would be less than that. Football matches would be less than that, but they're to higher volume. Um, there'd be some ROIs that are 
decent double figures, like high teens, but probably to less volume. Um, R or C. <laughs> I actually don't know what that means myself as well. I've uh, probably not the best finance background as well, so if someone can clarify that. But uh, yeah, ROI about six or seven percent overall. I'd say would be my guess. Okay. Um, Paul Fitzgerald, plus EV, this is another one I don't understand, bets to good money, um, well before markets harden. With the subsequent operational workload and hassle it involves, uh, seems the modus operandi here. Um, where are you opinion-wise on playing in the last 10 minutes of a pre-off racing football market? Uh, apologies if my internet's cutting off there a little bit. It was, it was showing us unstable there. Um, no, I think I think that's probably wrong, Paul, to be honest with you. I'm trying to, I think I would have been that guy originally. Now I'm more trying to get closer to the off in football uh, and racing as well in, in particular. I don't bet racing early, to be honest with you. I just don't do it. It just doesn't interest me. I can beat it, but it's it's a lot of hassle, like you say. Um, so I think as you, it's just, just going parking back to what I was saying before, just I think the more money you get to to get the money down i think you need to be i think everyone everyone that builds a bankroll starts gravitating closer to the off just to to scale basically um and that's what i'm trying to do for everything okay now michael verity would like to know how do you stay hungry to keep getting getting it after year after year what's your ultimate motivation and also another question in with it what's the longest break from punting you've taken in the last 15 years and do you think breaks can help freshen you up and refocus you yeah that's a great question um how do you stay hungry and getting it year after year i think uh, i think acquiring more baggage and a higher standard of living just keeps you on your toes as well to be honest with you uh yeah you're just always trying to i think just as you you probably end up spending more than you used to do and then you I think that keeps the pressure on to a certain extent as well. Um, breaks, uh, this is one thing I'm probably not great at, to be honest with you. I go on holiday a good bit, but like I was in Portugal recently enough and uh, I'm just looking at, I'm still trying to, I'm, I am switched off to an extent and the kids keep you active and stuff like that. But like, um, yeah, I've always got my eye on it. I can't, I, I struggle to switch off basically. And it's probably, it's probably not the healthiest thing uh, position to be in I, I wish I could just uh, go out for I wish I could go away for two weeks and I always say it when I go on holiday I'm always like I'm going to leave my phone at home and I just never do I, I just can't seem to make that break from actually switching off if I left my phone at home I'd be borrowing the missus phone on a Saturday afternoon checking out Rotherham and getting on in league one or something like that so uh, it's probably it's it's probably a bit of an illness and fairness I struggle to take a break basically Okay, this is another anonymous one, but it's a fair question. When, when do you classify something as an edge? Uh, just when the price is bigger than what I make it. And then it just depends on how big that edge is to how big you bet. Yeah, it's just I'm setting my own prices and then just trying to work out. It's, it's one thing that people might think I'm wrong here. And I know Ben has, Ben's commented about me playing bookmaker and stuff like that. But the way I see it, right, is you make something a price. These are my prices. And if I'm a better and I'm a, and I'm a punter, the way I see it is I'm looking for something where I'm getting 10% bigger than what I make it. And I'm happy to have that bet as my edge. I think playing bookmaker for me 
is 10% the other side of that line. Whereas I make some at a price, I make some at eight to one and someone wants to take 15 to two. That's I'm going to play a bookmaker because it's, it's two sides of the same coin. Basically, if my key is to get my prices right, that's my big thing. Get my prices right. And if the bigger than my prices, bet them. If the smaller than my prices and someone else wants to bet them, lay them. And then that's just basically my opinion on it. So I think as I, I differ to Ben on his opinion of punter and bookmaker. For me, it's about prices and just if they're too big or too small, uh, backing or laying them. And I think that that's just that's just my opinion on it. Okay. Uh, win and each way laid would like to know, how do you identify the difference between your edge no longer being an edge versus a losing run? <coughs> Uh, it's a good question. I think a lot of it is probably what price it closes at um, for some stuff. So horse racing, if I'm betting horses at 20 to 1 and the bet for SP in 30 to 1 and I'm doing that over and over over again, I'm, I'm probably in trouble. Um, I think results, good, positive and negative can mask how good you are. The closing line is pretty is pretty good in a lot of things. And I've said it before to people like we all like we all have instances where we think a bet for SP is wrong and things like that. Um, or a closing line in a particular individual game is wrong and fair enough, we can debate that. But like, I think over a collective of 10,000 events or something, the closing line is going to be pretty much bang on overall, averaged out. And I think if you're not beating it, I think you're going to struggle. Even if you're running good on your bets, I think you probably want to be just ahead of the market just in general at, at, at the off. Um, over a big sample of bets and I think that determines if, I, if I'm if i betting 20 to 1 shots and the bet for SP in 14 and I lose 30 bets in a row I'm not too fussed about it to be honest with you because I think that the market I think the market is going to correct over time if there's something I'm missing and if it's going off 14 I think I think the individual result is is less applicable and it's more about how I'm managing my bank to stay in the game basically is, is what I think. Um, right. Hello, Anthony. Part three. John would like to know, do those real-life punters who used to deal with you when you were in trading rooms now operate directly with you to get their bets on because they're barred from getting on with other bookmakers? And do you use, if that's correct, do you use their stuff to your benefit? Um, people that I used to deal with. Yeah, I've had a couple of people just actually from previous, like, I think there's a trade-off between, like, for years and years, I didn't speak to anyone, came off social media, didn't speak to anyone. And I think everyone, or people assumed that I was probably probably winning money, but, like, getting it quietly and stuff like that, fair enough. And I think, but then since I've done a few podcasts recently, and I obviously spoke to you last week as well, um, and then you get you, you get people saying that, oh, you shouldn't, you should keep your mouth shut. And then you get, and then the flip side of that is you get people saying that you, yeah, you're not telling us anything and stuff like that. And this is rubbish and you, you can, you can't win with people. But I think what, what I found has happened is I think the smarter people just realize what's being said. And I think the people that probably are less smart in the punting get more frustrated by what you're saying. Um, I've had people reaching out to me since, like I've spoke with, spoke with, someone I consider to be right at the top of the game, basically, um, just regarding horse racing. Last week, um, just after seeing the videos, I've had somebody, one of the smart customers I mentioned from Betfred, 
uh, not Jason Knowles, but another lad uh, reached out to me and got in touch with me as well and wants to meet me and stuff like that. So like, I think, uh, I think the whole networking thing is I was late to it. And I think overall it's a, it's a big positive. Um, I don't just, I don't follow in people. I'm more interested in how people think than what bet they're going to give me, to be honest with you, and what I can learn about how they approach things. Uh, I'm never, if I meet a trainer at the races or something like that, I'm never, give me a winner. What, what do you think is going to win today? I think that's real short-sighted and it's real, it's going to, it's like the feed, feed a man with a fish for a day or whatever that frigging saying is. It's like, it's a, I think you're going to get something out of it for the day maybe, but you don't learn anything for yourself in the, in the, in the future. And my whole thing is if I met the smartest guy in the world at Ben, I don't want to know what he's betting today. I want to know how he goes about finding his bets, basically. And that's kind of the way I approach it. I, just, I don't want, I don't like your man was saying there, John, uh, I don't want individual bets off people. I just want to be, I want to be around them just to learn something about how they process information and stuff like that. And how they, how that then generates bets rather than, rather than getting one or two bets off them, basically. That's, that's how I approach it with any smart people I deal with. Okay, now, Pattaya John, as a golf punter myself, um, I'm interested in your views on golf betting. Is it a big thing for you? Or was there a particular reason for punting Ram in the Memorial last year? Uh, yeah, I like betting on golf. I think I've got a good edge on golf. Um, from back in the day, I was probably on premium charge on Betford because of golf more than anything else. Um yeah, I think I, I like. Yeah, I think golf is golf's a good sport to bet on. Basically, I'd I'd be very frustrated if I was a golf trader or a, working for a firm that was offering seven, eight, ten places every week, because I think when you start when you start going eight and ten places, your opinion just doesn't matter anymore. Basically, it's kind of you're struggling to lay anybody any kind of bet. Um, it's probably not a sustainable market and sure what you might as well just pay someone minimum wage to put copy prices if you're going to be offering eight and ten places which are which is probably what one of the firms that offers the big places prices does anyway um yeah I, like golf's good to bet on but i wouldn't want to work for a bookmaker on price golf to be honest with you because because you're just uh, like i think it's just very tough i think it's probably very tough to to have your opinion doesn't matter basically the, the each way terms are going to dictate what what prices you're going to have to go probably more so than having any opinion so if i had any opinion I, i'd want to on golf i'd want to work for a firm that offered sustainable each way terms or i'd want to pump myself um but yeah everyone's different i suppose um yeah golf golf's golf's a good sport to battle. Okay, this is from Matt Swad, and he, I quote, I do actually have a question rather than just being a knobhead dropping quotes. Would a small minimum bet law, for example, 250 quid um, liability per a market per firm, um, would that have a positive effect going forward? Um, I've probably changed my opinion about this, to be honest with you. Um, like I said, I don't really bet certain things because of you can't get a bet on them horses, dogs, things like that. I probably would have been of the opinion originally that firms can do what they want and and they can restrict who they want. And but I think I think it's probably a little bit short term doing that. Like I, I genuinely fear for horse racing in the UK, not just prize money, not just everything, but like 
how many people I used to love horse racing. I used to watch it. I used to own horses. You might not want to lay my bets on them, but I used to watch it. I was engaged in it. I used to go racing all the time as a punter. I don't even watch it anymore. I barely watch it anymore. So even though the bookmakers might say, oh, thank God, like uh, I, we're not going to lay him any bets on horse races anymore. The sport has probably lost me as a customer and lost me as a fan. And if that's happening to me, honestly, it's happening to a lot more people on a, a lot smaller scale than me as well. And I think it's just real short term of the sport to be to be probably siding a little more, little more with the bookmakers and being able to do what they want rather than it's probably turning off a lot of people that were your customers and they're just gravitating to other sports. Um, so yeah, my minimum bet law, minimum bet's interesting. I think, I think the firms, it's the same as guarantee prices. When the firms bought in guarantee prices that if you struggle to get rid of it because people expect it and it's, it's a big, big drain. I'd love to, bookmakers would make so much more money if they removed guaranteed prices and they added a minimum bet law of 500 quid to everybody at the price. Guaranteed prices cost cost them millions. As an industry, it definitely cost them eight figures a year as an industry of the firms on our checker, at least, at least eight figures. Um, bringing in the minimum bet law wouldn't cost them that much. Your prices, like, you're going to lose money to certain customers, but your prices are going to get more efficient more quickly and you're going to get put away less. It's probably going to, reading between the lines of your mark, of your PL, it's probably not going to cost you that much money to bring in. And it's not going to turn people off. I'd probably have a bet to win a monkey on horses and I'd probably look at it and I'd, I'd expect they wouldn't beat me, but I wouldn't win by that much. And you'd correct your prices easier and everyone would be happy and people would go racing again a little bit more. So the way I do it, I think that's all pie in the sky because I don't think it's going to happen anyway. But the, And I also don't think my idea with it is going to happen. But my idea would be, Anyone that offered markets, every every price on your website, if you were laying a bet to win 500 quid, I'd tax you less. I'd tax you less. I'd have two levels of tax. If you want to go bet 365, you get restricted. Your account email, you all get a quid on and you can play in the casino. I'd tax them twice as much, three times as much as I would the guys that had lay you a bet to win 500 quid on anything. And I think that is one way that the that government and regulators could solve Um making bookmakers incentivizing bookmakers to deal with customers basically that that they're probably not going to find as profitable as people who lose all the time is by having different levels of taxation um on, on your gross profit basically okay right adam he's interested in the grand derby anti-post market is that pricing up every runner correctly at the start and every round back in loads each way or just making a market uh, Graham Derby's, yeah, price them all up. I usually tend to not have a bet before the first round, so I'd price everything, do my work on it all. I'd probably watch the first races. I'd be tracking draws. Draw, the drawing grounds is massive, so which way, which way dogs are turning out the boxes, basically, is probably the biggest thing. How anyone can have a bet on grounds without knowing a draw is beyond me. It's, it's a massive part of it. Um, so yeah, I'd be looking at draws. I'd, I tend to usually want to watch them run, unless I see something that I think is very, very overpriced. I'll usually watch them run the first round. I'll get my draw for the final 96. I'll go through it all. I'll be looking who's got good draws, who's got bad draws. And yeah, it's pretty much having each way bets. And it's not as relevant anymore, but 
Star would have been one of the ones that did it. Labrooks Powers back in the day when I was at Powers, Bet365, they all used to price a lot of special markets. You still get them to a degree on the English Derby. Nobody prices specials pretty much on the Irish Grand Derby anymore. Um, and yeah, it'd be like top mark, Wallace Dog, and they'd be just analysing analyzing stuff and having bets in those markets as well, as well as as well as each way bets, basically, anti-force. Okay, punting for a living, we'd like to know. One minute you're working for Paddy Power, the next minute you got a 200,000 plus tank, plus the multi-bet. How did you get that sort of tank up originally? I suppose he means without the multiple. Yeah, one minute in reality was 10 years. So I wish it was one minute, but it was 10 years. So it was a, it was a while. It took me a while to get going. Um, like one of my one of my first bets, a few people would know from Powers that got me got me really going was Luis Suarez, top Premier League goal scorer. He joined Liverpool. He was banned. I think it was his first full season. I had him top scorer. It was twenty to one. Quarter of the first four. I think I was betting him at eighteen, sixteen. I was betting him a good few prices down, and he missed the first five games of the year. It might have been one. Might have been his first biting incident or pushing a ref or something like that. So he, no, he's banned for six games, I think. Or it might have been five. It might have been five league games, and he came back. I think I can remember it. Robin Van Persie was top scorer. It might have been David Moyes' first season at United. Van Persie was top scorer for United in the Premier League. He had six goals. Suarez hadn't played a game at that point. Um, and he played his first game back was a League Cup game away at United I think someone won 1-0 might have been United I'm not sure and I watched that game intently because I had it in my head that Suarez was a massive price at 20-1 to quarter of the first four um, and I watched that game and he didn't score in the game but he was he was his usual self he was buzzing around doing his Suarez Tevez like running around harrying people playing well and I just thought it was just a massive price, basically. And I, I probably had, this was probably 2013, I probably had three grand, four grand to my name. Didn't have much money. And I basically had it all on him each way. I had about two grand each way on him, 1,800 each way or something. And won, I don't know, won the guts of 50 grand, basically. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the bet that got me going, basically. Um, from, from, probably got me from being a 5K, 10K bank guy to having 50K and then, and then I really, I think after that bet won, I remember, I, I'll tell you what, I remember that because the English Grand Derby that year, Suarez at the time, this was the start of May, Suarez was like one or two to be top scorer. And there was a guy at Paddy Power called Luke Cotton. He would probably, and I didn't know him, I'd never met him. And I know him really well now. And he had a few quid, <laughs> shall we say. And he lent me, he basically lent me 20 grand it, without knowing me, crazy really, against my Suarez bet. He knew that he had the Suarez bet as, as his credit basically. And he wanted to follow me. He'd heard about the bets I was doing and stuff. And he wanted to follow me on the English Grand Derby. Um, and we basically had about 40 grand between us. We split the bets half, half, 20 grand, 20 grand. And it was the year, I think it was the year, I might be getting confused here now. Might've been the year Salah Dodger won the, won the derby I, that might have been a different year but, but basically we pretty much doubled our money um, so I had the Suarez money about 50 grand coming back and then Luke owed me about 20 grand after the English derby as well so basically at the end of that May start of that June I had 70 grand and then I kicked on for, and then I just with that 70 grand 
think you do the bits and pieces you probably buy a few new clothes and go on holiday and stuff like that and then when I got back I was just like I'm gonna I'm not gonna prick around now I'm actually gonna take this very very seriously from here because I can probably make money on it and that's kind of what I did basically and I, I, this is my question because I'm, I'm probably a bit cautious when I bet but um what sort of percentage of that bank do you split them into like points and have that on of your total bank no, never, mate. Never. No, I've never done that. It's, it's going back to one of them previous questions. It's probably on how big I think the mistake is and, and what kind of market I can get on. And if, yeah, it's just how big the mistake is. And I'd never, once you've got a few quid and everyone's different, everyone's got mortgages and bits and pieces like that. But um, I think the bigger the, bigger, the bigger the mistake, the bigger your edge, you probably should be having more money on them things. And and that's basically it. I never, I thought I'm not one of these one point each way. Do me a one point win on this. I'm more fucking, I've got 10 grand in my bank. I can get three grand on this and it's 50% too big. Let's get it on. Like that's, that's just the way it is. Okay. Right. Finally, this is from a previous interviewee, Rich Hassel. He's a very successful professional dog punter. He says four episodes of not match was a giant tease. I'd like to hear some method, how he picks his selections. Um, and also, what is an edge you used to play that no longer works? And if you don't pick your own, how do you get others' cards and info? There's a few questions in there from Rich, but he's uh, he's keen to learn off you. Sorry for teasing, Rich. Um, uh, pick my selections. Yeah, like cards and info for other people. Not so much. Not so much. Um, I'm always willing. I always keep my ears open and my mouth shut in general. Um, edges that used to work. Uh, one big one back in the day would have been Stan James. I used to love Stan James. I used to think the format, it's like playing Champ Manager 97, 98. Like the format of the, the layout of Stan James's website used to be brilliant. I used to think it was one of the best websites. It's a shame it's gone. But it also used to have numerous flaws in it as well. So you used to, you used to lay your 30 quid max on a top jockey market and you stick it in a bet with uh, hundreds on basketball team and you can have 300 quid on and stuff like that. So like there was loads of, uh, there was loads of little flaws in the logic of their website. And they're probably like one big edge that I used to have was the Premier League season handicaps and not done it for ages. I actually got an email after our pod off a Boyle Sports shop manager who basically remembered a perm that I'd done in a Boyle Sports shop that he used to manage basically from six or seven years ago, which was quite amusing to, to remember. Um, but yeah, used to one of my big, big, big starting point was West Brom plus forty six with Stan James on a season handicap. It was the year Blackpool started off really well, and then faded away. Um, and yeah, I had, I had a, I basically West um, Stan James massively priced West Brom wrong on the season handicap, but it revised every single week. So whatever year Blackpool were in the Premier League under Ian Holloway they had about a 50 point head start and because they went off 10 to the dozen and they started off really well, they were miles ahead of everyone in the season handicap, but West Brom were always within touching distance. Um, and Stan James just used to revise it every week and they were revising it like six to one. And it was quarter the first four for ages, like, like 15 of the teams couldn't, couldn't place and they were still a quarter of the first four. It was just crazy. And you, you couldn't lose on it basically. Um, West Brom were like guaranteed to place and I was just betting them every week. I was doing like 15 quid each way doubles with horses. And I think my Stan James account at the end, like in March would have been showing like minus seven grand, but it was, 
seven grand of open bets. Um, and basically West Brom just came at the end and pipped them with about three or four games left um, as, as Blackpool got relegated, basically. And uh, that was a massive mistake. Stan, another one Stan James used to do, which the first time I ever went to the Caribbean was based on Stan James pricing up jockeys challenges. They used to pick like two jockeys every day. So it was like two jockeys at Lingfield and jockey A, jockey B. And it'd be like, they'd have five rides each and say all the rides were five to one, five to one times five for both jockeys. And you'd get to like quarter and then whoever used to set it up, used to just leave it. So you'd have all the movement of the early prices. But then also you'd get certain days where there'd be some jockey A would be on two odds on shots and they were both non-runners. And the prices would just be the same. Like and they, they might have one ride against a guy who's got four rides and a couple of on on shots and they were 10 to 11, 10 to 11. And you're just like, it's fucking, it's a hundreds on. Like you literally can't lose. And we used to just perm them up or me and another lad in powers used to perm them up and just take fortunes off them and just keep getting accounts and just doing that. And we were pressing that for ages. They had no rule to say that if there was a non-runner, you didn't, I was just mad. They must have lost fortunes on whoever was pricing that market did me a big turn, basically. So, yeah, good. Excellent. Well, that you've been a good sport. They've answered every single question <laughs> that um, I think if I'd, hopefully I didn't miss any off of Twitter. So um, plenty for people to get their teeth into there. And they've, everyone's learned something I should imagine. Anthony, thank you very much. And uh, really appreciate it. No worries, man. See you again. New betting people interviews are published every week at Star Sports. Exclusive interviews with the key people from the world of sports betting. Check out our full library of interviews at starsportsbet.co.uk. Begambleaware.org. Over 18 only.